Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday, 8th of October 2019. So just five days away from a highly anticipated 53rd World Conquer Championships being held in the UK this weekend. Mark Pender is on the US Hello. East Coast. Brian Jackson joins us from Sydney. And I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Brian, I don't know if Conquers are a big part of Aussie sporting heritage, but either way, let's kick off with your side of the world. Since you last joined us, we've had, what, fresh cuts in benchmark interest rates in Australia and India, another reduction in bank reserve ratios in China, and comments from a number of regional central banks to the effect that there may be more easing to come. We've also had an escalation in a political crisis in Hong Kong and less than smooth progress in the US-China trade talks. So there's been plenty of news, but would it be fair to say not much of it good? I think that's uh, reasonable. Yeah, there's, it's definitely, uh, the, if you look at the data that's coming in over the last uh, few weeks, it's generally been on the subdued side. Uh, you know, central banks are looking at inflation as well and generally seeing it below where they would like it to be. And so the, 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 the bias right across the region is still towards uh, more rate reductions. Uh, you've had, as, as you said, the RBA, the Reserve Bank of India, uh, the, the Chinese also cut their new uh, uh, benchmark lending rate uh, a little uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, so, yeah, right across the region, it's, it's quite subdued. So why have Japan just hiked their consumption tax? Well, that's been in the, in the pipeline for quite some time. So, uh, you know, I think the government there feels like they are committed to, to going ahead with it. Um, you know, they've adjusted that. In, in the past as well, and they've generally sort of uh, been able to, re, you know, to respond to that with, with other measures. And, uh, you know, obviously the Bank of Japan just keeps uh, policy very, very loose as well. So I, I don't think they've really been um, doing that as part of a, a macroeconomic uh, policy tool, but rather, you know, to uh, improve their uh, revenue uh, base and to improve the fiscal position. What we are seeing, though, in Japan is, is again, that this uh, bias towards uh, doing more on the monetary policy front is in place. They haven't acted, obviously. They've been very stable for, for several years now. But we are seeing a bit of a change in the rhetoric uh, coming out of Japan. As, as so, we know, um, inflation has been very slow to, uh, to come up to where the Bank of Japan's target is. And what they've been saying, though, all along is that the momentum is still there. That has changed a little bit in the last uh, couple of months. Now the uh, the BOJ is saying, well, you know, perhaps the momentum is starting to come off a little bit. And what Governor Kuroda has said that is that if that momentum is lost, they will act, uh, in his words, without hesitation to ease policy further. Uh, what do you think they do? Are we talking more QE type stuff or another cut in rates or where do they uh, go? I mean, it'll, it'll be some sort of balance. I mean, it's really hard to, to predict exactly what it'll be. They've, they've got you know, probably three or four sort of levers that they can pull. Um, but, you know, the, the key point is that they do believe that, you know, they, they have a room still to, uh, to ease policy further if they need to. Brian, this is Mark. Do they think that uh, the yen is too strong? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they would always like to, uh, to see that uh, come off a little bit and, and help them out. So that, that, that's another factor that's, that's weighing on, on, the, on the policy front. What about China? I mean, most of the numbers out of there, well, I suppose they've been a little bit mixed, have they, of late? But, I mean, there are still concerns about which way China's heading at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably best just to look uh, at the, the most up-to-date numbers, which are the PMI numbers that we've had out over the last uh, week or so. Obviously, we've had China out on holiday 
uh, for the last week. So we haven't seen any of the official numbers come out. They'll, they'll come out uh, shortly for September. But if you have a look at the, um, uh, the, the, the PMI surveys that have come out, you'll see that um, last month there was a bit of a pickup in manufacturing, then it dropped off this month. But the opposite for services, it, it, it dropped a little bit last month, then picked up a, a bit this month. So we have seen if you sort of combine those two together, you know, the composite measures uh, for the PMI survey have inched higher over the last couple of months, but still sort of at showing quite subdued levels. You know, perhaps that does suggest that some of the moves uh, officials have taken um, in the last few months to you know, respond to the, the weaker trade situation has helped to stabilise domestic activity, but it's by no means, you know, reignited, you know, very strong growth in China. Do, do you think forecasters are going to um, raise or uh, start inching up expectations for their industrial production retail sales reports? Uh, in, in If you look at the PMI numbers, uh, and as I said, they've picked up a little bit over the last couple of months, that does suggest perhaps you will see some improvement, but I, I wouldn't think that it's going to... Um, you know, really get that much stronger. But, um, yeah, hopefully it's at least uh, trending in the right way. Um, yeah, the, the the other thing to note, obviously, of course, is just this, the whole Hong Kong situation is is uh, is flowing through to, to other uh, issues as well. Um, what, what has been quite striking in the last uh, couple of weeks is just uh, the impact it's starting to have uh, on, on broader US-China relations. Uh, obviously, um, we've seen um, you know, U.S. politicians coming out um, expressing concerns about what's happening in Hong Kong, and it's also starting to uh, impact some of the commercial relations. Um, you, you may have seen uh, the situation that's going on with the National Basketball Association uh, in, in the U.S. We had uh, a, a manager of the Houston Rockets uh, expressing support for uh, the Hong Kong protests, and the reaction uh, from Chinese companies has been quite severe in, in sort of uh, damaging that relationship that uh, the NBA basketball has had in China. Uh, you've had the state broadcaster uh, suspending broadcasts of, of basketball games. Um, so, again, just highlights uh, you know, the, the sensitivity of, of much of the U.S.-China relationship at the moment. How has Australia dealt with this and, and their uh, politics versus and, and exports versus China? Uh, very nervously. Uh, you know, obviously, China is our most important trading partner, but uh, the U.S. is our most important security partner, our, you know, our, our longest standing and the most important ally. And so I, I think the, the U.S., uh, sorry, the Australian government uh, is keen to try and uh, get this resolved uh, as quickly as possible. And in the meantime, you know, say as little as it has to, uh, you know, when anything controversial comes up, because, you know, obviously doesn't want to... Um, upset the apple cart in, in either direction. So it's, it's a very delicate situation for the Australian government, no doubt. So I was wondering, does this typically, I suppose, for your sort of part of the world, is the yen, which is normally regarded as being a sort of a safe haven currency. But I was wondering, has developments in Hong Kong been for the benefit of places like Singapore? Uh, in terms of... Uh, in terms of you know, you know, capital flight going, going yeah, into us. I, I think that's definitely... Um, that would be a longer-term trend, I think. You're probably not going to see... Uh, companies uh, pull up and, and move just right now. It's, it's only been a few months, but you know if this does continue and if, if things escalate, then you would definitely expect uh, to see uh, you know some uh, relocation and, and some capital flow elsewhere. And so, yeah, you know, 
I, I think the the Hong Kong authorities are obviously very concerned about that. And you, if you just look at the at the PMI data for Hong Kong over the last three months, it's been terrible. It's just completely collapsed, um, and all sorts of um, uh, you know weakness in terms of exports and and employment going on there. Again, what we're seeing is is also uh, you know concerns about. You know what? Where does Hong Kong business stand uh, in relation to to this issue? Are they on the side of the government or are they on the side of the protests? And depending on what choice the, you know individual businesses make, they're going to come under pressure from from some quarters as well. Okay, interesting stuff. Thanks for that, Brian. Okay, to Mr. Pender. Mark, um, before we get started on the economic data, and I thought I saw something just now, but the Fed's about to announce it's going to resume buying T-bills for reserve management purposes. First question yes. then, does okay. this have any implications for policy? Well, no. That And uh, Jerome Powell's uh, very uh, careful to state that this, this is the temporary uh, purchasing of uh, short-term uh, uh, securities to add liquidity into the money market. Quantitative easing is the, uh, the long-term purchases of long-term uh, security. So he's put a Chinese wall uh, uh, between that. But he's moved up uh, the schedule. Uh, last month's FOMC conference, he was uh, talking about the end of October, uh, uh, the Fed addressing this. So they've gone right in to do it. And there's really, it's because of the jitters. You know, it, it fairly or not, it raises questions of counterparty risk and those kinds of things. And so they want to put a cap on as soon as they can. Fair enough. OK, let's get down to the numbers. So what, last Friday, U.S. jobless rate hit, what, some like a 50-year low? But you also saw... 3.5%, yeah. Right, and you also had a fall in wage growth, though. Low, slowest pace in more than a year. So I mean, isn't this kind of yeah. sort of Goldilocks almost as far as the U.S. is concerned? What's the Fed worried about? <laughs> Well, I guess it could be considered uh, Goldilocks. Uh, the rate of uh, payroll growth is a moderate. That's pretty solid at 136,000. Um, the uh, lack of uh, wage inflation really uh, doesn't really play into their um, uh, interest in trying to raise uh, inflation right now. It's um, it was a surprise. Uh, average hourly earnings had been on a four-month, um, significant four-month uh, rise, but they came in unchanged monthly in September for 2.9% year-on-year rate. All of a sudden, that rate has gone down about a half percentage point over over the last uh, uh, since earlier in the year. And they want to, I think, to have a a, a basic inflationary uh, upward uh, a movement to it. And also, they talk about. The importance of uh, wage gains uh, for the standard of living uh, issues, uh, that's always kind of part, uh, you know, uh, business uh, writing kind of excludes that, but that's always really at the top or uh, at, at what how they address the public. So I think that they would, you know, it, it's not really good press for them to have a weak wage growth. We also have producer prices today, and they were soft too, um, kind of going in the wrong direction, roughly around the two percent annual rate. But it's moving, uh, and, and you know, it's it's coming back. Uh, energy has a lot to do with this, but uh, basic goods prices really aren't showing any traction. Finished goods prices aren't showing any traction. Um, and tariff effects, wh if where they are, they're hard to find. Uh, so it's not really uh, creating any issues for the consumer, at least yet. We have consumer prices on Thursday, but there again, we're, uh, uh, forecasters are expecting to see moderation. 
So, and Powell is out today, is out today speaking, and he sounds a little bit hawkish. The Fed strategy seems to be the last meeting, too, um, to cut rates and, and, and talk hawkish. And I think that's what they're doing now. And I think part of the subtext is, uh, you know, defending their um, independence from uh, President Trump. Uh, so I think this is kind of what their strategy is. Uh, markets are certainly certainly expecting a cut, and it would be very uh, it would be a big move if the Fed didn't meet market market expectations. But they're going to probably meet them in this uh, you know slow kind of uh, uh, you know slow way. Okay, uh, quick one round off from your side. Just a politics. No, we don't normally talk about U.S. politics, but all this, you know, impeachment rumors and talk and so and so on. Is that having any kind of unnerving effect on U.S. markets, financial markets, or are they kind of just ignoring it? I think there was a burst into the bond market when it first kind of came out. Uh, so that would be demand for safety, and uh, there was already building up demand for safety, including among uh, small investors, uh, and that probably. Uh, uh, reflected that, of course, but uh, since then there has been, uh, I think, a definitely flattening, tailing off of uh, seeing, um, you know, what is going to unfold exactly. Uh, and certainly, this is just another uh, element of polarization in the American public. Um, wh- whether that's good for the markets, I don't know. But it's, uh, it's, you know, it uh, the the line, the battle lines are are more and more drawn than ever. And uh, so we'll see how it plays out. However it is, it's going to be loud and uh, probably <laughs> very, na- very nasty. But whether or not that actually affects, you know, fundamentally affects uh, investors' viewpoint of the market, it could from day to day, you know, given, uh, you know, super strident headlines. But uh, generally, I don't think it's changed the picture, certainly the monetary policy picture at all. Okay, fair enough. Thanks for that. Okay, quick look at my side then. Well, from Eurozone, there's not a great deal to add from what we said last week. On the economic side, uh, I guess most of the talk over here continues to be dominated by Germany, where there seems to be growing speculation about uh, a possible recession. Uh, We had some manufacturing numbers out this week, which I guess weren't quite as bad as they might have been. But in a nutshell, as as far as things stand currently, in September, we need to see monthly growth of industrial production of getting on for 3% um, just to prevent the third quarter from producing another contraction, which would put manufacturing into technical recession. Business surveys and orders continue to be uh, very soft, pointing to a a disappointing uh, fourth quarter as well. And I guess the most worrying aspect and the key thing to keep an eye on here, uh, German services, which according to the the recent PMI PMI surveys, have also started to show signs of deceleration. And and obviously it's been that part of the economy which has really been keeping German and GDP um, head above water in recent quarters. The rest Jeremy, of the Eurozone, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, yep. but uh, the, the spin on the in- German industrial production seems to be, uh, it was a better report than it was, a, it wasn't as bad as it looked uh, uh, report. W- uh, did you see that? Um, uh, yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, market expectation, we're talking here about the, the August data. The expectations was for a decline of 0.1% on the month. We actually had a 0.3% monthly increase, which in itself is a bit stronger than expected. And indeed, if we stripped out fairly large declines coming through in the volatile subsectors, energy and construction, we're talking about an increase up around 0.7, 0.8%. So in actual fact, by German standards of late, it was a pretty decent number. 
But that figure needs to be seen in the context as what as what's been a raft of, of really pretty terrible numbers over previous weeks. Uh, sorry, over previous months. And I think with the uh, September PMI, I think we talked about that last week, really looking terrible for German manufacturing. The chances are that this is just going to be a temporary blip, and we'll probably see it unwound when we get the October numbers coming out. So by and large, putting a, you know, a straight line through the German figures for manufacturing, at least they still look pretty awful. Um, regards the rest of the, the eurozone, um, it's doing better than Germany, which is the good news for the eurozone total at the moment. And so I think, you know, talk about recession, the eurozone is really getting a little bit of ahead of itself, at least at this stage. But it's got, it's got to be said, if we just go back to these uh, PMIs again, in terms of manufacturing, as of the September figures, only Greece, Netherlands and France were on the right side of 50. All the others, so that includes the likes of obviously Germany, but Italy, Spain as well, they're always sub, all sub 50. And so in negative growth territory. So um, although Germany, by all means, is the worst performer at the moment, you know, there's some genuine concerns about uh, you know, the broad-based deceleration we're seeing in the Eurozone currently. Um, what does it mean for uh, Christine Lagarde? Well, one of the problems, I think, you know, clearly we've just seen the ECB easing policy just a few weeks ago now. But um, from, from some of the comments coming out from Executive Council, there's clearly disagreements about, you know, well, A, should they have cut interest rates in these policy last time, let alone what they might do in the future. So when Christine Lagarde does take over from Mario Draghi at the beginning of, um, where are we, November, um, she's going to have her work cut out if she wants to see any additional easing. So there could, be, could well be some fireworks on the ECB to look forward to. But I'm around off my bit with the UK and inevitably it's got to be Brexit um, from the volatility people might have seen in the pound today. You can tell that there's been quite a lot going on there. Um, in summary, what's happened, there's been some reports coming out from Germany, which it has to be said the German government have not corroborated that Angela Merkel has effectively said that Boris Johnson's latest proposals to secure some kind of a trade deal uh, before the Brexit date on uh, October the 31st, that effectively there are unworkable and they're not going to be acceptable to the EU Commission. Um, there's been a lot of rhetoric since then flying between the UK government and the EU Council um, and markets have suddenly now taken a view that there is that much more of a chance of the risk of a no-deal Brexit. Now of course I'm sure people will remember as we keep talking about that strictly speaking as a result of a new so-called Ben Act uh, the Prime Minister is obliged to request an extension of Article 50 which would delay Brexit if he can't get a trade deal agreed uh, by the 16th of October. But what worries the markets is that the Prime Minister over here is still maintaining that come hell or high water, the UK will be leaving the EU with or without a deal once we get to October the 31st. So now the fact that he's still saying this and we've had this, well, what appears to be a, a big blow to the trade negotiations, financial markets getting significantly spooked and we've seen the pound come under quite a lot of pressure during the course of trading out of London today. I think markets can be very nervous over the next few days. There's been talk that Johnson may not be attending next week's EU leaders meeting, uh, the, EU, the leaders meeting which will be the last one before Brexit. And that's also been seen as perhaps, well, further indication that perhaps we are going to leave without a deal. But wherever it pans out, markets going to be extremely nervous, I suspect, over the course of the next few days. So it's going to be very much something to keep an eye on. Now, in terms of numbers, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I have a couple. No, I was going to say in terms of numbers, urgent. I have a couple of urgent yeah, Brexit questions. So when October 19th is it, it comes around, um, and if nothing has happened, 
it, it will it just go to Parliament then, and and they will uh, try to force um, an extension. Well, yeah. Is that in theory, I don't have to because under the law, which was passed what uh, a couple of weeks ago now, if there is no deal agreed uh, effectively by the by the time the EU leaders meeting, then the prime minister under law is obliged to write this letter and officially request an extension from the other EU members. So this uh, letter is already typed up somewhere. It may it may well be. I mean, the the prime minister just I mean, which makes it even more confusing, has already said he will not be breaking the law if he has to write the letter and he will do precisely that but the next sentence he will say but by the way we are still leaving the eu with or without a deal on brexit day so i mean clearly you know it simply doesn't square uh, markets have got no idea whether he's got some cunning plan or some loophole he's found in this new um, act which allows him to you know to drive through it and take the uk out of the eu uh, without a deal or whether he's just bluffing or what at this stage we really don't know and so then the court the, the courts would be pushed into some kind of emergency uh, hearings uh, yes there has there has been talk that he could be willed before the supreme court and possibly even locked up in prison should he refuse to do what he's supposed to do so okay, i mean okay. it really is it's a political comedy if it wasn't so sad over here at the moment well one last question and this is a befuddler for me is the uh the border the customs border on uh northern ireland what is it that the eu doesn't like about boris johnson's proposal well, in a nutshell, Boris Johnson's proposal would mean that Northern Ireland, um, sorry, Southern Ireland, would be taken outside of the customs union. Um, and that is something they're not prepared to have. Effectively, um, Johnson is proposing that there would be a, a kind of a border, a very loose border between uh, Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, which at the end of the day, the rest of the EU simply aren't prepared to accept. So they simply want, you know, completely free trade between all the EU members, which in, which will include Southern Ireland. But Southern Ireland has some kind of, you know, maintains a free movement of goods and stuff with Northern Ireland, but there are also some blockages to other things, and they're not going to stand for it. So it's basically just comes back to this backstop, which you know, has never the issue of this has never been solved. It's just the, the perfect storm of having when everyone's in the EU, the free movement of capital, goods, people is not an issue. But when one country leaves the European Union and still wants to maintain all that free movement, it simply doesn't work anymore. And it's trying to work your way around this, which has caused all the headaches and it still hasn't been resolved. And lastly, I suppose I should just quickly mention on this subject, it is still the case that even if Mr. Johnson does write the letter to the EU, it's down to the other EU members to agree to it. And all the other EU countries, all 27 of them, have to say, yes, it's fine for the UK to have an extension. I think at the end of the day, because the EU really, really, really does not want the UK to leave without a trade deal, they will give the nod. But there's been a lot of noises coming out of some member countries, basically to the effect they're just getting fed up with the whole thing. So, on which happy note, um, I guess we should probably just about call it a day there then. Um, on behalf of Brian, Mark uh, and myself, thanks as always for listening. Uh, do remember to keep up to date with all the key economic indicators and market events in Econoday's global economic calendar. And of course, don't forget to dig out your conkers in time for Sunday. Bye for now. <laughs>